Welcome back to MasterCard's Fortune Favors the Bold. I'm your host, Ashley C. Ford. If I sound a little different, it's because I'm recording this from my apartment. Like so many of you, I've been staying home for the last few months because of the coronavirus. We've all seen changes in our lives, big and small, but we've also seen inspiring individual and community efforts to stop the spread and protect our most vulnerable. And that's why we're here. This season of Fortune Favors the Bold was all about talking through the big questions we all have. So today, we have a bonus episode about the one thing that right now we're all thinking about. How can we work together in a crisis? I think the answer to that question starts with partnerships. In this moment, a lot of businesses and organizations are coming together to share expertise and resources, including MasterCard. I got to hop in a Zoom meeting with Mike Froman, the vice chairman and president of strategic growth at MasterCard, and Trevor Mundell. I lead the global health group at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to talk through my big questions about this new world we're living in and how people, companies, and institutions are working together right now to address COVID-19. Thank you both so much for being here today. We're literally recording this while we're all self-isolating. I have been recording anything that goes out into the world from me from my bedroom. Turns out I like being in my bedroom, but I don't think that I necessarily want to be recording away from my friends and producers forever. So it's been tough. What have the last few weeks been like for you, Mike? Well, I think one of the things about this pandemic is how it affects literally everybody. Um, I count myself on the fortunate end of the spectrum because I have a job that I can do remotely from my home uh, online. But mm-hmm. I look around and I see outside my house and neighborhood and down the street, there are a lot of people who can't do that. And mm-hmm. one of the interesting or and challenging things about a pandemic like this is the differential impact it has on people. And for people who are uh, tend to be the most vulnerable, they end up bearing the the brunt of the burden, whether it's from a health perspective or from an economic perspective. Talk to me about that a little bit more, Mike, because, you know, I'm a freelancer. Um, A big chunk of my income personally comes from speaking gigs, which obviously I'm not doing a whole lot of um, right now. And that's hard, but at the same time, I feel so privileged to be able to do so much of my work from home. And like you said, that's not true for everyone. We've been talking this season of Fortune Favors the Bold a lot about non-traditional career paths. How do you think this has impacted, say, members of the gig economy or freelancers like me versus people who work nine to five jobs it's a different working life. Well, first, I think, as I said, everybody's affected to some degree or another. And for mm-hmm. people who have worked in stores or in restaurants um, that are now closed down and they're completely out of work and they've lost their income. And as, as we know, in the United States, uh, there are figures that more than 40 percent of the American public uh, didn't have four hundred dollars of 
savings to address a major economic uh, shortfall. Well, that's what we're going through now on a mass level, a major economic uh, shortfall. And those are people who have been, as you say, in the nine to five. For the gig economy workers, of course, life has been more flexible, but also more precarious. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing we're seeing is that people who have been laid off from from restaurants or from stores are trying to insert themselves into the gig economy. And people who are in the gig economy are having to adjust because people aren't doing ride sharing as much as they used to. Uh, right. And so really everybody is being affected. It puts a real premium on uh, the kind of work uh, we've been doing at MasterCard over the years on financial security, on financial inclusion, trying to think through the future of work and portable benefits and what can be done to give people that wherewithal so that when there is an unanticipated economic event, that uh, that they've got the buffer to be able to make it through and continue to support themselves and their family. Mm-hmm. Trevor, I've been thinking about public health across the country and obviously across the world more so than probably I ever have before. Um, One of the people we talked to this season was Amy Young, and she's a small business owner who works with people living on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico, helping to increase their economic opportunities and raise awareness about issues that directly affect indigenous communities. One of those issues is a lack of running water in many parts of the reservation. So I've been thinking a lot about Amy and her work during this time. What are the public health challenges you're thinking about when it comes to vulnerable populations like the Navajo in this crisis? Well, actually, you know, we really know from past outbreaks that pandemics, even regional epidemics, have a disproportionate impact on people living in extreme poverty. When pandemics surge in lower middle income countries, The health systems quickly get overwhelmed. We were very involved in the terrible Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2014, 2015. And this really is what got Bill very energized about this issue of pandemics. And, you know, over there, the number of women who actually died in childbirth exceeded the number of people who died from Ebola. And that was because the women couldn't access the normal delivery facilities during the crisis. So we see this same story repeated again and again in those fragile healthcare systems, some new catastrophe that comes in. There are all of these unseen, at least unseen initially, consequences, which can be much greater than actually even the consequence of the direct problem at hand. And I think, you know, Mike alluded to this in terms of even say in the US where the consequences uh, to certain people, depending on their jobs, and whether they're able to isolate, physically isolate themselves, um, may have a greater impact than some of the direct effects of the infection itself. One of the things we've noticed is that the global research community has really come together um, to combat this virus. We are seeing that around the world in a way that I'm not sure I've seen before in my lifetime. Can you talk a little bit more about that. What kinds of collaborations or experiments or research and development are you most excited about right now? Well, it's absolutely true. And I've been really blown away by the response of many different sectors. But, you know, it comes from collaborations, which has just been amazing. You know, in the research communities um, funded by national governments, 
there have been assets put in place that actually enable us now to have some tools and possibilities of responding to this new pathogen in a way that we wouldn't have had, say, a, a decade or two ago. We have this effort now that MasterCard has uh, been supporting with us called the Therapeutics Accelerator, which is about trying to find rapidly some drugs, uh, drugs that are well-known potentially, that can be quickly deployed alone or in combination that might be impactful on the infection. And how do we do that quickly? Well, we've got a number of the companies that have got these very uh, important drug databases, drug libraries, which is their most precious asset, stepping up and saying, we'll contribute our antiviral libraries to the Therapeutics Accelerator. We call it Pandemic Reframe, this new library. And I mean, that's really unprecedented. These blood and plasma companies that are intense competitors, six of the key companies got together and they said, we're going to form a consortium and we're going to pool our ability to collect donations. And what's more, we'll pool our manufacturing capacity so we can actually respond at a scale that's going to make a difference over here. So, you know, across the sectors over here, we're seeing quite an amazing degree of jumping in and focusing on such a critical problem. That sounds amazing. Mike, talk to me about this partnership and what it, like, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for the people who you most want to benefit from the partnership? So first of all, uh, we've had a partnership with the Gates Foundation for some time. Uh, Together, Mm -hmm. we created a, a lab in Nairobi that helped innovate financial inclusion products. Uh, More recently, we've been working together with the Urban Institute to develop a network of researchers looking at the future of work. From our perspective, there is no better partner than the Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust to, with the credibility to coordinate, as Trevor just said, among governments, pharmaceutical companies, researchers who can act nimbly and quickly and put money to work to accelerate the discovery, the manufacture, and ultimately the deployment in an equitable fashion of a treatment for COVID-19. And from our perspective, from MasterCard's perspective, you know, first and foremost, COVID-19 is a global health crisis, but it has precipitated a global economic crisis. And, and from our perspective, as a global company, we have an interest in healthy communities and healthy communities will produce healthy economies. And so it was a no-brainer when they approached us. We were delighted to be one of the the founding partners with the Gates Foundation and and Welcome. Um, I think together we we put $25 million in. Together they they each put $50 million in. And now it's a $300 million consortium as others have come in uh, from the UK government or the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, or the Dell Foundation, other philanthropists, other individuals. And that's exactly the kind of public, private, nonprofit partnership we need to see, as Trevor said, if we're going to really achieve a, a, a solution here. And so we're, we are honored to be part of it and delighted to be supporting this, uh, this overall effort. I mean, I, from just on a personal note, I know that there is nothing new about MasterCard stepping in to partner with people and help see these sorts of initiatives come to fruition. But we've seen a lot of divergent responses to this in different governments around the world or even state by state in the United States. Um, I'm from Indiana, 
I have family in North Carolina. My sister is in Georgia. And all of these places are having different ideas about when we should reopen, about how we should address testing, how we should address treatment, all of those things. What do each of you think the role of the private sector is in moments such as this? Well, look, I think when I was in uh, when I was in government, we talked a mm-hmm. lot about public-private partnerships. And to be frank, usually what that boiled down to is that we wanted the private sector to write a check, mm-hmm. something out of philanthropy. And philanthropy is really important. But I think at the end of the day, the problems that we all face, whether it's global health, poverty alleviation, climate change, otherwise, there isn't enough foreign assistance and there isn't enough philanthropy in and of itself to solve those challenges. It's ultimately going to take the resources, the motivation, the ingenuity of the private sector working hand in glove with philanthropists, with governments, with NGOs to try and find scalable solutions to that problem. That's been the the path we've been on as a company when it's come to, example, financial inclusion. And we take that same attitude here towards a, a major global health problem, recognizing that each party brings special and different assets to the table. The private sector, in our view, has a critical role to play, not just in writing a check, but in innovating, whether it's finding new drugs or uh, finding technologies and ways of making sure that those drugs get to the the people who who desperately need them. Yeah, Mike, you know, I would just uh, add in an interesting uh, twist on this, which, you know, as you've indicated, the private sector has really responded magnificently. And in some ways, we, we know that they have the capabilities to produce the tools that we need, whether it be vaccines or drugs or antibodies, uh, or even some of the equipment like like ventilators. But there's often a difference in pacing. You know, the private sector is, is often quite fast in responding to their markets and changing course. And then they have to intersect with the government, governments, and they have to intersect with the global health architecture, World Health Organization, United Nations organizations, which often move at a different pace, but they reach, you know, the broader community, particularly the broader global community. So we can't have just the private sector with a lot of good initiatives, but not effectively intersecting with this all this other infrastructure that's ultimately going to deliver these potential tools to the whole world. And that was really one of the elements of the genesis of Therapeutics Accelerator. You know, we are now starting to get the first drugs of interest that are coming out of the screens we're doing. And there's some really interesting compounds that may actually be useful. We start to see those. The other promising direction, which is around antibodies. In some ways, they may be the most uh, certain way of getting to a therapy. Well, antibodies can take years to develop. Usually, it can take you a year plus. Well, having started you know, a few months ago, we're starting the first studies by the leading antibodies in June. That's next month already, which is totally unprecedented. And where the Therapeutics Accelerator has been able to come in is to say, are we going to be actually able to manufacture enough of it so that it's going to get to the billions of people that potentially might need this? And, mm. you know, that's where um, having that flexible, fast funding, we've been able to jump in and, for instance, reserve some manufacturing capacity, large-scale manufacturing capacity for the best antibody. And the companies have stood up and they've said, a number of them have said, if it's not our antibody, you know, and there's a better antibody, you know, we'd even put our manufacturing capacity uh, to play over here. 
So that is a type of uh, spirit that, that I've really seen in other circumstances. If I can add to that, this crisis comes at a really interesting time in history because over the last couple of years, there's been this emerging debate about the role of the private sector, the role of the corporation. And then comes this crisis. And I think what you're seeing is we're involved in this crisis through the Therapeutics Accelerator, through a number of other things we're doing across the business. But every company is finding that it is refocusing its priorities, whether it's on its employees, on its community, on its products, to make sure it's doing everything it can to bear some of the, the burden of sacrifice to help people in their communities. And I'm hopeful that coming out of this crisis, one of the few silver linings of an otherwise very dark cloud called COVID-19 might be that companies see that the impact that they can have on their communities in a positive way, the social impact, is something that remains core to what they do going forward. And, uh, and I'm hopeful that it will have long-lasting positive effect on the relationship between the private sector on one hand, governments, NGOs, philanthropies on the other. Mike, I really like the way you're saying this. I think there's this growing sense out there that even if times are tough, there are lessons we can draw from this and come out stronger, like you said. Um, what things do you think we're learning or strategies we're trying that might actually create a more equitable society on the other side of this crisis? Well, you know, actually, I, I would say um, just take the Therapeutics Accelerator, which really was launched with equity as the core of its approach. You know, and providing this fast, flexible funding at some of the key stages of the development process, we de-risk that pathway for new drugs, biologics, in truth for COVID-19. But the mechanisms that we've set up now, I think, are going to address future epidemic threats. Even those libraries from the companies, we've talked to them. Would you allow these to be used for the next pathogen? Because we have to anticipate that's going to come along. And they pretty much all said, yes, I think we should start now even thinking about that. And part of that also is the access for lower resource uh, countries, that these tools, these products are going to be affordable, accessible, and available to everybody who needs them. I like you guys. I like what y'all are talking about. I like the way you talk about it. And to be perfectly honest, knowing that people like you are working on this, um, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel safer. So thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else the two of you would like to say? You know, Ashley, I mean, one thing I would say, we've talked a lot about the Gates Foundation, MasterCard, Welcome, some of the key partners over here. But as we've discovered over the years, we have such a rich network of partners out there that are embedded in local communities that know the local circumstances and without whom you know, their brave efforts in the front lines None of this is ever going to work or going to get out to the people that, that need these tools. So I would say that, uh, you know, whatever we're doing is a very small piece of the picture. And it's that bigger piece out there that is so important that we should always keep in mind. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you both so much for being here and for having this conversation today. It made me feel a lot better, and I hope it does the same for our listeners. My pleasure, Ashley. It's been great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us. And thank you, Trevor, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. 
Sure, Mike. No, thanks for your guys' help. That's been fantastic for us, getting us going over there. Thank you. It was so reassuring for me to hear from Mike and Trevor in the midst of this crisis. Things are hard right now, and they're scary. But hearing about how different groups of people are working together to address our pain and our fear reminds me that we're never alone. And when we come out of this moment, and we will, our work won't be done. We're still going to have these big questions, everything from working remotely to how to shape a better, more equitable world for all of us. And when we do, I'm gonna be right here, talking through them all. This is Ashley C. Ford, signing off for now. Fortune Favors the Bold is a podcast from MasterCard and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted and produced by me, Ashley C. Ford. Our MasterCard executive producers are Marcy Cohen and Brooke Capsuroni. MasterCard editorial direction by Arsalan Danish and production by Rebecca Abraham. Our MasterCard mid-roll producer is Mira Belgrade. Our theme song is by Bobby Lord. Tell us what you thought of the show. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford. Fortune Favors the Bold will be back soon.